I don't know how to tell you this, but I'll do my best. Shirlene Snyder was walking from her front porch down to get her mail last week. You remember last week? It was bitterly cold outside, remember? But she bundled up and decided to go down and get the mail at the end of her long driveway. It's cold outside. She was taking her time to avoid the snow and the ice, you know. There were, um, I don't know how to say this nicely, but there are just some deadbeats in her neighborhood. And uh, they, they saw her making her way down the driveway. Um, her mailman didn't come until late afternoon, so it was dark outside when she went to go get the mail. And she walked down there in the dark, and they saw her. They, they targeted her. I don't know if they thought there would be a mail, a check in her mail or something, or cash in her I don't know, but they, they rushed her. They tackled her. They punched her repeatedly. They kicked her when she was down. They stole her mail. Uh, apparently, one of them liked the look of her hat and gloves because they took those as well, and her coat. She was left on the ground, bloodied, bruised, thinly clothed in the freezing, freezing cold. Now, luckily, her son Sean was driving to her house when all this happened. You, you probably know Sean. He's been an elder for us here. He, his truck's uh, headlights lit up the driveway as he drove around the corner and uh, saw this form, this uh, lying in the yard. Uh, lights saw her there, and, and yet at the exact same time uh, he saw her, he got a phone call on his cell phone. He picked it up. Wade's game, his son's game, was just starting, and so he threw the truck in reverse and drove off as fast as he could. He said... No, that can't be mom. She wouldn't go get the mail by herself in the dark. No use missing the game. And he left. Shirlene suffered. Well, with the, his truck exhaust still up in the air, her uh, next-door neighbor came down to get her mail at the same time. They, they've been friends for decades, these two. She looked over and saw Shirlene on the ground there suffering and she thought, well, the weatherman said you can get frostbite if you're out in this cold for longer than 10 minutes, and she wasn't properly bundled up. Besides, she said, I don't want to meddle in her business. Her sons will take care of her. So she got her mail and quickly hurried back up the driveway to her home. Not long after that, another car pulled into her driveway. It was a door-to-door -door salesman. Well, that's what he told people. He was actually a scam artist. He locates elderly people, he charms them for their information, and then he robs them of everything in their bank accounts. If you've ever gotten one of those scam emails with the bad links in them, it's from this guy. He scammed money from so many people. He rolls down the window of his Mercedes-Benz. His olive-skinned face, dark black beard, looks out the window. He normally wears a turban, but he's not going to wear them when he's going to scam people because it doesn't play very well in this part of the world. He does wear the turban, however, when he makes his YouTube videos and he shouts, death to America, and he burns the American flag. He did a little time in prison a while back. Sexual assault of a child. But he got out because he had really good lawyers. 
Now he's coming to take Shirlene for everything she's worth. But as he rolls down his window in that sub-zero cold, he sees Shirlene skin exposed, bloodied, bruised, a serious medical emergency, and he feels something. So he stops his car and he jumps out. He wraps his Gucci coat around her snow-drenched body. He uh, takes his uh, Burberry scarf and stops the bleeding on her face. He, he gently picks her up and puts her in the back seat of his Mercedes-Benz, blood pooling on his expensive leather seats. And he drives much faster than an ex-con should, all the way to Memorial Hospital. He carries her in. He demands the nurse's help immediately. They rush her into triage and then off into surgery. It's touch and go, but the man stays in the waiting room through all four hours of her surgery. The doctors report to him they're hopeful, but they're not certain of her recovery. He insists that they do everything they can. He pays the copay. He leaves his credit card information. Uh, for after the insurance pays. He approves the rehab facility on his dime. He leaves his contact information. And Shirlene pulls out. Now she's doing just fine. So which of those three, the son and the church elder, the neighbor and the friend for decades, or the scam artist, which of those three showed mercy? Mm-hmm. Ah, you guys are too smart. My story is a trap, you know? It's not true. In fact, Shirlene's sitting right over here. <laughs> it's not true at all. Don't go organizing meals for Shirlene, you know? I mean, you can. She'd eat them, I, I, I guess, but it's not true. It's an absolute trap. You astute Bible scholars caught it minutes ago. It's a trap just like the trap played for Jesus in Luke chapter 10 when he told the story of what we call the Good Samaritan. Uh, today I want to examine this trap, but, but more than that, I, I pray that we will understand this story and, and it will help move us off the front porch of our own lives, off the front porch of our own church in order to meet our neighbors, to learn their names, to learn their needs, and to make time in our life to show mercy to people. Throughout this year, my hope is to come back to some of the mission parables of Jesus to enlarge our imagination about how to live out the, the kingdom of God and, and the mission of God in our everyday lives. But today, to do that, I want to first examine what I'm going to call the mercy trap in Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you have a Bible, we'll look in, in Luke 10 today. It's on page 843 in those brown Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25 uh, Luke writes, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, again, I want you to notice the, the context here. Uh, he's trying to catch Jesus in a mistake. He's trying to pressure him to see what kind of imperfections or faults he has in him. You know, by testing Jesus, this lawyer sort of takes on the role of the devil who also tested Jesus in the wilderness. This is the, the idea. It's a trap. Teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if the conversation stopped here, this guy would have been right. He would have gotten some kudos. He could have gone home happy. But Jesus doesn't let the conversation end here. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, answer correctly and you will live. He said, do this and you will live. I looked up the little Greek word do in the Greek language. Do you know what the word do means? Do. Do this and you will live. In other words, it's possible to give the right answer and to live the wrong life. Maybe... You thought being a Christian solely meant giving the right answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good, good. Maybe you even said that in the baptistry itself, but you have failed to love God and to love your neighbor. You have failed to do this and live. And that's the mercy trap for us. Cozying up to our correct answers while leaving others out in the cold. Letting all of life's priorities crowd out our fundamental call to love each other. That's the first step to mercy, I think, is humility. Practice humility. Refuse to write people off just because they act differently than you or think differently than you or believe differently than you. Do you know how radical that is in our world today if you could practice this? To listen warmly to someone of a different political persuasion. To listen to a liberal or a conservative. To smile and welcome someone in your life that's dirty, that's vulgar, that's immoral. No, as, as Paul Hoffman and Matthew Kim write in their book, they say to demonize others instantly without knowing anything about them, that's the skill set of the day. Do we do that? Coworkers and neighbors and parents from our kids' ball teams and all the rest? Or will we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Rather, Paul writes, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Will you put aside your interests long enough to love and show mercy to someone different? I'll, um, I'll call him Mark. That's not his real name. He was someone who came to church from time to time. Not this church, another one I'd been affiliated with. And, and honestly, Mark is a hoarder. He'd pull into the church parking lot from time to time, old pickup truck, and it would be absolutely full, full. I don't even know how he sat in the thing. Papers and tools and old fast food boxes, mostly empty of food, but not always. Clothing, and just, just stuffed in that place. He'd come to the church, usually in the afternoon, and he'd wander into the sanctuary and take a nap on the seats. He'd use the bathroom. One time he got in trouble from the law because he was hoarding handguns, didn't have the proper permits. Now, to be honest with you, when he came by, a lot of times I just rolled my eyes. Ugh. Because the truth is, I knew better than Mark. I knew what he needed to do with all that stuff he was hoarding. I knew what he needed to do to change. I knew, and I told him so, 
But looking back, I don't think that's what he needed. I think he needed something else, something I think I was too proud to give him at the time. Mercy. Do you know anybody like that? Jesus challenged the lawyer, do this and you will live. Well, now the lawyer can't walk away. He hasn't trapped Jesus in anything. So to save face, listen to what he does. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to look right to the others, to make himself look right. So he asked Jesus another question, who is my neighbor? Now here's the mercy trap all over again, to look right in everyone's eyes. Do you know that if you show mercy to people, there will be somebody in your life, maybe many, who will say to you, you're wrong. You shouldn't have done that. They don't deserve it. You've given them too many chances already. They're taking advantage of you. To look right in everyone's eyes can become a trap to love no one. The lawyer tries to lay this trap, but he's caught in the trap himself. In essence, he's asking, if the law says, Jesus, I'm obligated to love my neighbor, the law, the Jewish law says that, then uh, what, uh, who's in that category of neighbor? Now, as one author, uh, Amy Jill Levine, writes, to ask, who is my neighbor, is a polite way of asking, who is not my neighbor? Who does not deserve my love? Whose lack of food and shelter do I not have to worry about? Whom can I hate? But for Jesus, love is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. To love is to live. So, Jesus moves from a mercy trap into the mercy model by telling a story in Luke 10. It's so well known, you might even imagine someone on the front porch on a summer night reading it or saying it out loud. So... Let's have Uncle Frank tell us the story today. <laughs> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Thanks, Uncle Frank. He's not going to read for me in second service, is he? <laughs> Foremost expert in Luke in the region reading the text today, and I'm making fun of him. There you go. In the story, Jesus changes the question. The man asks, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? So you would expect in a story there'd be someone who gives love, someone who receives love, and an answer to the question, who is eligible to receive my mercy? That's what you'd expect. But instead, Jesus introduces three different characters, potential givers of love and mercy. He won't answer what kind of person am I obligated to love, because for Jesus, love is an opportunity. It's not an obligation. 
Instead, Jesus addresses the question, what kind of person must you be in order to show mercy? That's a different question. As for the receiver of love in the story, all uh, Jesus says about this man was that he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's it. Was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? Jesus doesn't say. Was he an Israelite? Was he a, a Gentile? Jesus doesn't say. There's only one guy in the receiver category, and we have no idea what he's like. Was he coming down from the temple after offering a sacrifice there in faithfulness to God? We don't know. Was he a tourist just making his way down? We don't know. All we know really about the guy is he wasn't very careful. He made his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about an 18-mile rocky path that descended about 3,300 feet over that 18 miles. It's a long, hard descent. In some ways, uh, that would be like taking the stairs down the soon-to-be tallest tower in the world, the, the Jeddah Tower in Saudi Arabia. They expect it to be a full kilometer high. And, and could have estimated as many as 5,000 stairs. You could descend that many stairs for about 3,300 feet, or you could take one of the 59 elevators in the building. You know, it's up to you. That was the, the, the move from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he's taking this road, but everybody knew that that road was dangerous. Thieves were on that road. Still, the man goes anyway, he's robbed. Not only of his, of his possessions, but his dignity, his health, almost his life. He had uh, traumata, Luke says. Wounds is how it's translated, but you hear the word trauma. The lawyer laid a trap about eternal life, but Jesus springs the trap by pointing to everyday life, to a half-dead man on a common road. And maybe... On our journey to mercy, we need to be warned a little bit too, not to argue so much about heaven while neglecting those suffering on earth. You know we can fixate so much on heavenly realities that we are of no earthly good. Well, you know the characters. A priest was educated in the Mosaic Law, could recite the commands about his neighbors. I'm sure he, he led worship. He led prayers. He led sacrifices. He was reminded of all the time of God's love and mercy himself. So surely mercy has formed him. Surely he will do love and live, except it hasn't formed him, and he doesn't. He goes on by. The next character, a Levite, was a sort of, in that era, an assistant to the priest. He too know, knew the law, the Jewish law, but it doesn't compel him to stop either. And in our imagination, we want to know why, you know? Why? Well, well, who knows? Maybe the priest and Levite had just, they were coming home from their time of temple service and they were exhausted, you know? They'd been serving and, and so they wanted to get home. Maybe they were hurrying to get home to see their kids' sports games. Maybe they were anxious or worried. Maybe they were afraid or didn't want to meddle. A priest, a Levite, and, well... Did you ever notice how Jesus loves to use the rule of three in his stories? You know, three different things. We, we do that too, the rule of three. You see it all the time if you open your eyes to it, you know, like, um, like the three little pigs. You remember them? The big bad wolf goes and visits three little pigs, right? In fact, he goes to the first one who made the house made of uh, straw, right? And then the, the wolf even says something. You remember what he says? I'll huff and I'll... And all three. And that's what he does. 
And then he goes to the second little pig, right? And it's a house made of sticks. And does the same thing, says the same thing. And then he goes to the third little pig's house made of brick, and he can't blow it over, so he goes down the chimney and drops into a boiling pot and becomes food for the pigs. That's a weird story to tell kids, isn't it? The rule of three, though, you hear it, right? It's all over the place. In the Bible, you hear it. Help me out here. Father, Son, and Abraham, Isaac, and faith, hope, and yeah, it's, it's all over the place. Even everyday life, you know, you think about food, bacon, lettuce, and snap, crackle, and sex, drugs, and... How do you know that? Hmm. You see it on TV. The chipmunks had Alvin, Simon, and... Did you know that Donald Duck had three nephews? Huey, Dewey. You know everything. How about this one for an old reference? There are three stooges. Moe, Larry, and... You could, you could add shimp in there later, but that, that, that breaks the point. Rules of three, see it? Now, for the audience of Jesus, when he tells this story, the third group was going to be obvious. When you told a story in the ancient world, any Jewish person worth their salt knew what was coming. If you said a priest and a Levite, they knew the third group of person, the third person would be a common Israelite person, a common Jewish person. I mean, as upsetting as it would be for a priest and a Levite to leave a man to suffer, they just knew the third group coming along, the third person would be a common Jewish man and he would take care of it. Good story, Jesus. Nice point. Way to stick it to the man. Way to stick it to the religious establishment. Common man saves the day. Great story. Let's go home. But instead of an Israelite, Jesus inserts a Samaritan. Okay. These people... Jews thought of Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics. They studied the wrong Bible. They worshiped at the wrong temple. They uh, had the wrong history. Samaritans were the lost sheep. Jewish people didn't even go around them. They did not talk to them. And one time in, in Luke's gospel, he even uses the term allogenes to describe them, of another kind is the word. In modern terms, this would be like going from Larry and Moe to Osama bin Laden. For a Jewish person, you know, left for dead in a ditch, they might even say, I'd rather die than let one of them touch me. The only Samaritan is a good Samaritan. That's what they thought. It does make me wonder, from whom... Would you refuse help? Who repulses you? A man, mussy hair, ripped old clothes, urine stains down the front of his sweatpants, smells like yesterday's garbage, muttering to himself. Does he repulse you? An angry, middle-aged woman, entitled, wants to speak to your manager because of some trivial little thing. She is raising Cain to get you fired for nothing. I think her name's Karen. 
who repulses you? A man, cherry red lipstick, running mascara, rouge on the cheeks, crop top, mini skirt, pantyhose pushing thick leg hair down against his legs, high heels. Who repulses you? Church preacher representing white patriarchy, white privilege. Who repulses you? That's what these Jewish people heard when they heard the word Samaritan. Nobody saw this guy coming, and yet Jesus says when that Samaritan saw the beaten man, he took pity on him. Splagnizomai is Luke's word. He felt it in his splonks. It's compassion. See, the second step toward mercy is compassion. Practice compassion. Ignore the label our culture loves to brand people with. Canceled. Ignore it. Put yourself in their shoes. Feel sympathy for them. You see, the problem of the priest and the Levite was not that they didn't see the man. The problem was their perspective. Martin Luther King Jr., I think, brought this out beautifully when he said, the priest and the Levite asked, if I stop to help him, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan asked, if I don't stop to help him, what will happen to him? The most despicable character in the story had compassion. What about you? When you hear about somebody in our community or somebody in your circle and they've committed an atrocious crime, they've done something terrible, they're being canceled, do you run away from them like so many people do or do you run toward them? Compassion runs toward them. Because the gospel of Jesus means we don't have to obsess about what will happen to us. God's going to take care of us so we are free to love our neighbor as ourselves. But do you? Do you have compassion on your neighbor's troubles, or are they a bother? When Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor, the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. But what he does say preaches the sermon for me. He says, the one who had mercy. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Because humility and compassion can form in your heart as you follow Jesus in your life. But mercy must be done with your hands. Go and do likewise. Will you? Well, just to be clear, once again, Shirlene is okay. She's fine. It didn't happen. It was a made-up story, a fiction. Shirlene is fine. I'm still a little annoyed at Sean, myself, personally, but I'll get over it. I made that up, too. Turlene's fine, Sean's fine, I guess. But many people, many people are not. So I wonder this week, could you, could you take a few steps to model some mercy for people? Maybe just do this one thing. Maybe take a moment during your week and just take a walk. Take a walk around your office, take a walk around your school, take a walk around your neighborhood if you bundle up. Take a walk, and as you do, pray as you see people and as you see their homes. Just pray, God, fill me with humility and compassion for that person. Help me to show them mercy. That's a prayer God would love to answer for you. And as you're listening to people, 
Practice listening to them without rushing to judgment. Listen for their needs. Are they scared? Are they lonely? Are they hurting? Listen and respond appropriately, regardless of who they are. Do mercy. This guy, Jethani, writes, If your faith in Christ stops you from helping others, you're doing it wrong. Do mercy. And then we'll find our way off the front porch. And we'll change the world. Father, we're thankful for the words so stinging from Jesus today to be reminded again and shocked again by the mercy you have shown to us who have rebelled against you, the mercy you show to people that we can't understand, the mercy that you long to be in our hearts for others. Uh, Lord, breathe your Spirit's breath into us in that way so that when we see those around us that you love desperately, that we'd quickly act with mercy. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name and in the power of your spirit. Amen.